0: roll down tide from the clark ford studio in oxford mississippi this is the beer garden presented by oxford crystal
1: like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take though there was a lot of maybes a lot of what ifs a lot of questions you need to just get on here you need to fire and and put me in a position where i have to tell you that you're wrong and now here's your host neil mccrady nice nice
0: Welcome into another edition of The Beer Garden, presented by the Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, I don't know that this show has ever gone uh, to to France for a guest, but today that's where we're going. We're heading, I think, either into Paris or just around Paris, Burton Webb, who, if you have been following uh, my work at rebelgrove.com on 10 Weekend Thoughts, each Sunday you see uh, item number nine really for the better part of the entire uh, fall has been Burton. Maybe even before that, I can't remember how long Burton's been doing this, but
1: Uh, I think it started in August, August maybe. Yeah. So fall.
0: Yeah. Late summer, early fall. Uh, Burton gives the uh, taste of the place, a recipe type thing each week. A lot of cooking tips. It's really cool. He's done a couple of videos, uh, so I know people have really liked it. So I solicited some questions for Burton because I know it's Thanksgiving time. You all will be hearing this uh, 24 to 48 hours before Thanksgiving, uh, and some of the questions that are asked today will probably be applicable to the Christmas season as well. So if it's too late for uh, some of the answers that he gives for you to incorporate them into what you're doing on thursday Uh, there's another pretty big holiday rolling right around so you can start getting ready for it as well and we'll probably get burton back on uh, closer to christmas as well but uh, first before we get to burton and a lot of talk about uh, turkey and all sorts of sous vide and all those things let me tell you about the oxford crystal it's highway six west in oxford right next door to the Oxford Exxon so you can fill up and then fill up uh, at the Oxford Crystal. They've got the Scrambler breakfast bowls right now, sausage and cheese, bacon and cheese, whatever floats your fancy. They've got it there. They also have 10 crystals for six bucks. So this weekend, uh, when you're you're tired of turkey and you're tired of dressing and uh, you're just ready to uh, have a couple of burgers and sit down and watch some of the big rivalry games, you can do that. 10 crystals for $6 there at Crystal. And you can also get the new Nashville Hot Chick. It's part of the Pick 5, Fifty Five dollars there at the Oxford Crystal. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within fifteen minutes in business hours. It's that simple. It's right to the bottom line. Six six two two five seven nineteen hundred. So, Burton, how are you?
1: I am doing wonderful. I'm uh, I'm in Paris. The uh, time difference is a little bit of uh, I think seven hours. So I'm technically I'm in the future. And uh, yes, yeah, dark here. Uh, seven o'clock at night. And um, yeah, everything's wonderful, man. Just, uh, just a Mississippian in Paris, uh, learning some things and uh, getting cultured, as they say. So, uh, yeah, everything's going great.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I've never been. Uh, my daughter, Campbell, who's a freshman, is majoring in international business, and she's talking about French being the less the uh, the language that she emphasizes. So, maybe- <laughs> you all
1: right? Sir. Yeah, sorry about that. I was moving a chair. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, maybe in a, uh, in a couple of years, um, maybe maybe she'll head that way. Maybe I'll get invited. Probably not. So, uh, anyway.
1: Uh, French is a very difficult language to learn. I would just say that in and of itself. Um, our mouth movement is not accustomed to it. So, just um, forewarning you on that aspect. And coming from the South, you do have an accent. And so, it's kind of quite funny to hear yourself uh, speak French.
0: Do people get a kick out of listening to you try to do it?
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's, <laughs> They say uh, they usually associate me with Louisiana just because of New Orleans. Like, yeah, there's this guy who uh, speaks uh, French from Louisiana, and it's just it's so bizarre. And bizarre is weird in uh, French, by the way. So, yeah, it's just uh, they always want me to keep talking, and um, it's quite hilarious. I'll just say it in that sense. <laughs>
0: I'm waiting. For, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for you to get settled there.
1: Okay, I am settled.
0: Okay, yeah. It... All right. So, question number one it comes from Golf Reb eighty-three. We get this one a lot. Um, we've had Greg Jones on a few times, and and this one this one comes up frequently. So, I'm interested to hear your answer. What's the secret to a good sous vide steak?
1: Ooh, a good sous vide steak let's see all right so whenever you sous vide something in and of itself you're cooking it in a plastic bag at a constant temperature for say 45 minutes usually i think it is for a mid-rare about 135 if i'm not mistaken um the key with that though is a lot of people don't think about it you got to put the herbs or black peppercorns uh smashed garlic something in that sense in the bag with it because if you don't all you're doing is essentially cooking it in its own juices, and so it's going to be very, very bland uh, whenever you pull it out and you want to sear it right after that because, again, in a sous vide, all you're doing is, again, cooking it at a constant temperature with no flavoring, so it's just going to be the meat flavoring. So the things that I do, I'll uh, get maybe two cloves of garlic, smash those, maybe four or five black peppercorns, a little bit of salt, just a little bit of salt, and then also throw in maybe one sprig of rosemary in that after it once you see it pour all your juices into a um, into a saute pan render that down and then once you see your steak pour those juices back into the saute pan that you see the steak in throw in some butter some more herbs and then you're good to go
0: okay uh I don't even know what this is. Someone wants to know, what is a, a, what, any good chess pie recipes? Do you have a good chess pie recipe? And what is chess pie? I don't know.
1: Okay, so chess pie is essentially going to be a buttermilk pie. Um, you're going to make it with Pat Brisset, which is French. Um, it's just going to be essential. Your run-of-the-mill um, pie for yourself It's a 3 to one ratio. And uh, what this means is that you're gonna be three parts flour by weight, two parts by fat, and then one part by your liquid. Um, But for a chest pie, it's a traditional southern pie. Uh, Some people make it with vinegar. I'm not a big fan of it. But it's eggs, a lot of sugar. Uh, I like to put buttermilk in mine. And then you're finishing it with cornmeal, just a little bit of cornmeal, because we are, again, from the south. And so you use cornmeal in pretty much everything that you do and um yeah it rises to the top gives a little bit of a crunch for it um chest pie off the top of my head i don't have that i can definitely post that um on your uh, message board for yourself um, but right now i mean again i can give you a recipe but i don't know if it'll be uh, the correct one that i can remember from my grandmother because i do think that my grandmother probably has the best chest pie recipe in the world
0: I've never heard of it. I'm, I'm almost, I mean, and I've spent my entire life in the South. I, I, I don't, I mean, I guess I've heard the term. But I just have no idea what it is. So I, I don't know that I've ever so had. A lot,
1: it. A lot of people, they'll do chess squares. It's like a little appetizer or dessert, especially for um, like in the grove. They'll do chess squares. Same thing. They're just doing it in a casserole dish. Um, but chest pie, again, it's a Southern dessert. Um, I don't know if it originated in Mississippi, but I know it originated in the South, probably started in Virginia, if I had to guess. Um, but yeah, it's just a heck of a lot of sugar. I'm just going to say that. So I mean, like you get your sugar fixed really good if you're addicted to sugar, yeah, you're gonna it's gonna be there for you. Um, some people, again, like I said, put vinegar in it. I'm not a fan of that. I don't like the vinegar taste in it. I'd rather do buttermilk. Um, it has a little bit more of a, a creaminess to the pie. But again, it's chess pie, southern all the way through. I love it. I'll actually, uh, I can make one in the next couple of weeks for uh, the recipe.
0: Okay, that okay. works. All right, well, okay. I'll, I'll look for it. <laughs> uh. All right. Orange Beach Reb wants to know, what's a good Crisco substitute? He says, is it tallow or lard? What what do you recommend?
1: Okay, so when it comes to tallow, tallow's old school in a sense, if if my memory serves me correct. Um, Tallow was used back in the day more for making candles and soap and everything. And so um, using it in cooking, if you can find it, is really, really cool. Um, mainly use it for uh, frying something. Uh, but for Crisco, Crisco just has an authentic taste to it. I mean, it's vegetable shortening, rendered vegetable shortening. I love it. I can't find it in Paris anywhere. And when I say that, I've literally gone to probably 15 supermarkets, specialty stores, and it's nowhere to be found. Um, lard is... Uh, it's like one of my little chef secrets. I have a thing of lard here in Paris. I have a thing of lard back in Nashville when I go there. I have a thing of lard back in Mississippi and also of Memphis. Um, i probably go for the, uh, the lard aspect um, just because it's a little bit easier to find, especially in the supermarkets. Um, and it also depends on whenever, I mean, I guess, what are you using the application for? Um, when it comes to maybe frying, go with lard. Uh, you can mix lard and butter. It'll give it a little bit more of a nuttier taste with that little animal aspect of it. Um, one thing I do for my apple pies is that I do use Crisco, but I do a half Crisco and half lard uh, for my fat, for my pie crust. So, um, again, if you can find tallow, go for it. It's very, very good for frying. It has a very high heat point. Uh, what that means is that once you're cooking in oil, the oil will become rancid over time um and so i think the temperature is maybe like 400 degrees don't quote me on that but i think it's about 400 degrees so you're good to go for pretty much frying anything and if you want to fry turkey and uh taro i mean it's it's really really good
0: all right this is one you'll get a kick out of because you a few times have said hey give me some feedback and always say hey the only feedback i can give you is because i love your stuff and and i love the recipes i'm always like hey just remember concise well, brevity you know don't don't go don't go crazy and and so right. and this this is a it's a sarcastic question that's asked by north tampa rebel but <laughs> but i do think it's interesting because it's one of the things that uh i think a lot of people when they it, when they want to establish themselves as a chef one of the things they have to do is is you know, have a story. You, you do need a story that separates uh, who you are from all the other people that are out there as chefs, but you don't want to go so far with the story that the people never actually get to the food. So his, sar- yeah. his sarcastic, his sarcastic <laughs> question is why do all online recipes include the writer's entire life story? He's not talking about you. He's just talking in general. And it's, oh, it's yeah. because people are trying to Tell a story of how they got to where they got, and like if you watch Food Network, sometimes you'll you'll see. And I know a lot of chefs think those people are absolute frauds, but I use them as an example because people watch them.
1: I have no comment. I will not say a comment on that.
0: Uh, <laughs> there's there's one in particular. It's funny. There's one in particular that all chefs think is a total fraud.
1: Can I? Can I? Uh, can you give me a hint of who that is?
0: Yeah, it's Guy Fieri. Oh,
1: okay. All right. I'll go with
0: that. And most chefs, right. are, m- most chefs are pretty cool with Bobby Flay.
1: Bobby Flay can cook. Um, in my opinion, in his earlier years, I mean, you could saw him kind of still going through the minutiae, if that's a good word for it, of learning what his style was. But, I mean, if it was me and him in a competition, I mean, I know he'd bring it, and uh, I'd probably be sweating a few bullets here and there.
0: You would destroy Guy Fietti am I right
1: um, I don't know if I would destroy him I mean he's seen a lot of diners drive in some dives um, but for me I've seen a lot of true Italian cooking and a lot of true French cooking so I might have a bag up on him on that
0: <laughs> I'm guessing I'm guessing you would
1: um, I mean dude might intimidate me if he like wants to dye it, like some crazy colors it might throw me off. Um, but that's pretty much it. We're spiked
0: here. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, competition in the culinary world is is fascinating. Because, because there's a lot. It is. It's kind of like sports writing sometimes. A lot of us just don't like each other, and and it's um, yeah, sure. Um, all right, one or two of your favorite veggie recipes that are that are not super difficult to make. All
1: right, so veggie recipes now. When you say veggie, is this straight vegetarian or is this veggie?
0: He just says veggies. So I guess some veggies that, that, that you like to make that aren't super hard. I mean, this is, could even be something like, you know, what do you do with a Brussels sprout? That's your favorite thing to do. What is your, if you have some green beans, what's, I say you have some green beans or whatever vegetable you want to choose and, and you're, um, you don't have a lot of time or you don't feel like doing anything really complex, but you want it to be good. What are a couple of things you, what are a couple of tips you'd have?
1: Uh, okay, well, going, seeing that you brought up Brussels sprouts or green beans, um, I love both of those, by the way. Um, they're phenomenal. Uh, the thing with Brussels sprouts and green beans um, that a lot of people don't know is that you actually have to branch them beforehand. In um, salt water for maybe I think brussels sprouts is anywhere between one to two minutes green beans for maybe 45 seconds somewhere in there and what that does is pushes the uh, the salt water into the green beans and the brussels sprouts and Man, it just makes them that much more vibrant and when you actually cook them And you have that water pop for the flavor infused into it. So it's phenomenal You can also do the chicken stock just letting anybody know that um,
0: and so you I, blanch them and you get them. You, you, I know that for the people that don't know what that means, you, you boil them and you get them out and you put them in an ice bath immediately so that the cooking process stops.
1: That is correct. That is correct. Um, and what that is is essentially going back to third grade, uh, science class, osmosis. Higher gradient goes into a lower gradient to where everything's the same. And so whatever that salted water now goes into the beans or the Brussels sprouts. And so while it is cooking after whatever application that you want, It maintains that water in it, and so, I mean, it's just, it bursts with flavor. Um, When it goes to Brussels sprouts or green beans, I'm a traditionalist. Um, I'll saute some uh, bacon that I cut up, go in with some onions, uh, go in with some apple cider vinegar, and then after that, after um, I blanch the beans or the Brussels sprouts, just literally toss those in those, and the uh, onions and the bacon, and then finish it with maybe a pat or two of butter, maybe some salt, pepper if you're feeling fancy, if you really want to get, you know, even fancier, add some red cherry flakes to it, and it's just phenomenal. Phenomenal.
0: Okay, this is a good one. Tips on making pasta, which for a lot of people, hand-raised, is an awfully intimidating um, concept.
1: Pasta. Oh, man. Let's see. So I started learning pasta when I was 25. 33 now um it takes a few years <laughs> um to be frank about it um that's not a bad thing by any means uh, with pasta whenever i was in italy and this this helps out so much um in the north and the south regions they make pasta different um in the north region they like to work their pasta more um in the southern region they don't like to work their pasta more um I guess the some tips for it is that uh, whenever you make your pasta dough and say before you roll it out it's called the uh, the finger the finger uh, the finger trick so you press into your pasta and you want it to be able to your pasta dough you want it to be able to bounce back towards you kind of slowly but has like a reflex. So if you're thinking like a basketball and you bounce a basketball, you just let it drop from your hand. It kind of goes right back near your hand. It's not going to go all the way to your hand. Think about that in pasta. So however much you press into the pasta dough, it should have a reflex of almost coming all the way back to where you initially pushed in. And what that means is that there's enough gluten in the pasta to where it's going to have like a toothy uh, flavor for it once you ever you roll it out and then also you cut it and then you of course boil it so I think that's the best tip that I can give you um, besides that I will be doing a pasta video on how to do it homemade um, it just takes time to learn um, but essentially in all pasta is the same eggs water salt uh, olive oil and then just flour
0: yeah, I will watch that video with great interest because one of these days I'm going to put the pasta attachment on the KitchenAid and give it a give it a shot.
1: You know, one of the one of my favorite things my mom did for me way back in the day, and this isn't going to be a long story because I don't want to you know <laughs> do a long story. Before, right? <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. Uh, I I think I started, well, I always started cooking with my grandmother way back in the day, but in eighth grade. Um, for Christmas from Santa Claus I actually got a KitchenAid mixer with a pasta attachment and literally I went straight into making pasta for I think like three months when I was in 8th grade so I think 8th grade is 12 years old something in there so I think that's where my journey began and I'll be honest with you my pasta was not good (laughs) it was not good at all Um, another thing too is that whenever you're doing it um, say and I think this goes into baking as well. We have, in the United States, we do a lot of things cup measurement-wise. So say like your pasta recipe calls for two cups of flour. For me, I always go by weight. Um, and I like grams, not because I've been over here in Europe. It's just more precise. Um, two cups of all-purpose flour one day might actually be two and, and fourth, two and a half cups all-purpose flour. And so try to go with um, weight By that means, because then everything will be more precise. Because a lot of times with your pasta, if it calls for two cups of flour, you might not need all those two cups of flour Mm -hmm. whenever you're making your dough. And then it'll be too stiff, and then you're wondering why it didn't come out right, and so on and so forth. So I think that's a good way to start uh, with your pasta adventure, is to make sure that you're using everything into grams or weight, anybody else, you can do ounces, it doesn't matter, but just start off with doing everything as weight, and then you can adjust your recipe. Um, but I do have a really good recipe from the north of Italy, and I also have a really good recipe from the south of Italy. so I will be uh, putting those on your uh, recipe of the week uh, coming soon.
0: Fascinating question here from SB12. Uh, when cooking pizza rolls, how can I prepare them to the appropriate crisp crispness, but also keep all the stuffing inside the rolls There's you don't have to answer that
1: all right so are you a pizza roll fan
0: neil i'm not i'm not
1: i mean do i like
0: them yeah but do, i'm terrified of calories as you know and so uh you know like uh, I've, I've officially hit the point in my obs- manic obsessiveness that uh, that i can't uh I, if i were eating pizza rolls all i would be thinking about is the calories i wouldn't even enjoy it and then i would burn my <laughs> mouth and it would be a double
1: thing well, see, that's the one thing I've always, like, whenever I've eaten a pizza roll, I've uh, always burned my mouth every time. And literally, the you know, the third, fourth, and fifth bite, you don't even taste anything. But you want to keep eating it because, you know, you don't really want to waste food. Um, now, when it comes to pizza rolls, are you talking about the long ones? Kind of say maybe that you got a chicken on a stick back in the day whenever I was in college.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had a pizza roll in – I not not since my fat days so it's been it's been been a I mean, since I, my really fat days not my current fat days but like my, my fat fat days i haven't had one since then so do
1: you say FAT or PHAT
0: uh that's the FAT yeah that's um, the F-A-T. unfortunately i i've never been good at the PHAT but i've always been pretty damn good at FAT oh
1: okay uh well if i'm thinking correctly and i to think the think makes me think back is uh, Chevron, Lindsay Chevron, with the uh, chicken on a stick and the crispito, which I'm always a fan of, the Crespito, by the way, whenever I get back to Oxford. Um, the pizza rolls are long. Uh, the one thing that a lot of people do to, um, it, it, it oozes out because you don't seal it correctly. And so usually whenever they're long, you're not stretching the dough to then roll it because whenever you, uh, before you fry it or you bake it, however you want to go about it, um, the dough is not tight all the way through. It's got loose parts, and so with those loose parts, once you fry something, it's gonna create gas, and so that gas needs a place to go. And if it's loosely rolled, then guess what's gonna happen? It's gonna form a, uh, it's gonna form a little hole, or find a little hole somewhere, and everything's gonna ooze out, and then the grease, or the uh, heat's gonna go in, it's gonna overcook the inside, uh, the grease is going to be greasy on the inside. So that's, I, I think that's my best tip for that is make sure whenever you do them um, and you're rolling them for those like the crispy dough and the chicken on the stick and so forth, make sure it's tight. And so if you have like a whole square in front of you or a rectangle, you'll pull the dough away from you, and then you'll roll it toward yourself, pull the dough, roll it toward yourself, pull the dough, and you're not going to rip the dough. Okay, and that's a big thing. Some people are like very cautious about pulling dough. because like, oh, what if it rips? Just pull it a little bit. You'll feel it give. Once you give a little bit, and then roll it right on top of that. And then keep pulling, rolling, pulling, and rolling. And then just make sure it's tight all the way through.
0: Uh, We're going to get back to some more questions in just a minute. We have a Thanksgiving-oriented question coming up that uh, I think you'll enjoy. But first, let me tell you, this podcast is also brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, in Chattanooga. It's 30 years old this year, one of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you know you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. Community Mortgage is also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So ask Jason Lowe about Community Mortgage's float down option, which allows you to lock in the current rate. But if rates go down before you close, you can get the lower rate. It's J-L-O-W-E, J-Lowe, at Community M T G. Com. We're also brought to you by Strategic Partners in Media. SPM is a full-service advertising agency that works with businesses of all types, big or small, Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media look here is why SPM is really good and different than other ad firms they can handle everything in house they don't sub their work out the writing the production and the editing is done solely by their staff and crafted uniquely for their clients and lastly an Ole Miss grad and a Mississippian is a partner in the firm so give them a call see just how great they are Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com again Austin at com. alright our friend uh, Grovan1551 wants to Know, should it be against the law to not serve cornbread dressing at Thanksgiving?
1: Uh, it depends on what state you are in. I know there's a lot of red, red, what do they call them? Red line laws now in the states. Yeah. For states. Um,. I think if you're anywhere below the Mason Dixon line, um, yes, cornbread dressing. If you go anything above, then it's stuffing. And trust me I had learned that difference whenever I was uh dating a girl from up north back in the day and I called it dressing and I'm pretty sure it was sacrilegious and um they did not appreciate that. They said it's stuffing. And I said there's really not that much of a difference. I mean one's inside of a bird, one's outside, but uh they were very adamant about it. So in Mississippi uh, Okay, it's a crime to serve bad dressing. How about that? I think that's one of the things. It's a crime to serve bad dressing. What's the key, um, to, good, so what's up, the
0: key to good dressing?
1: You got to make homemade cornbread. Um, I think I put a recipe up for for y'all uh, three weeks ago. It all starts with the cornbread. And actually, uh, you have a video coming out on YouTube, I think either tomorrow or the next day, that goes through uh, how to make the dressing that we made. Um, but it all starts with homemade cornbread. Um, After that, it's relatively the same all throughout, but you have to make sure that before you bake the casserole, because it is a casserole, it has to be soupy. If it's thick, the water evaporation in it, over time of you cooking it, it's just gonna make it so dry that it's gonna be almost like couscous uh, when you eat that, and so you have to make sure that it is runny, and so the chicken stock that you put in, and that's what I do, I do chicken stock in mine, the chicken stock that you put in and where you mix everything around, the cornbread, the veggies, and then also put chicken and turkey in mine, it has to be soupy. So when you put in, it's kind of like a plop. When you put it into the casserole dish, you'll have some like spider patterns going everywhere, so wear an apron. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the trick to it.
0: Uh, Calhoun Tubbs wants to know, best way to cook scrambled eggs, seriously, he says, or she says.
1: Uh, there's a video on YouTube that I did on scrambled eggs. Watch it. It's uh, the traditional French way from Escoffier, which is probably the most influential chef in the world that put um, actually, I guess, recipes into a book that then pushed out throughout the entire world. I do a half and half of uh, butter and oil. Uh, I melt that in my pan first. Usually, say, if you're going to do scrambled eggs, usually it's three whole eggs for yourself. Do not whisk them till they're all the way runny. Um, it breaks down too much of the fat um, from the yolk aspect of it. And then just cook it over medium heat. Um, you don't want to cook it till you're frying it, and a lot of people do that. They cook it at too high of a temperature. Um, yeah, just medium-low, medium-high heat. It's going to take about four minutes. Use a rubber spatula to move it around once you get kind of a little bit of a sear on the bottom. And then you'll start seeing them get kind of globular. Uh, big chunks of it. And you just keep moving around. And once you think that it's almost ready, pull it off the heat because you'll have what they call residual heat so it'll still continue to cook while it's in the pan or the pot, whatever you use. And then just finish off with a little bit of salt. And that is literally how you cook some amazing scrambled eggs. Um, when I was in Alaska, again, not a long story, but I, was, I worked in Alaska, um, literally people would ask me for my... Uh, scrambled eggs recipe and that's all it is is butter oil salt you don't put milk in them uh, you don't put water in them and the reason that you don't put milk in them is because milk is actually denser than an egg and so if it's denser than an egg what is it going to do it's going to make it heavier so it's not going to be light and fluffy
0: i got one for you i'm doing a couple of briskets for family the next couple of days what's the what's the ideal temperature for uh for cooking a brisket in on indirect heat on a grill.
1: Oh, I like um anywhere between 230 to 250. Try not to maximize over 250. Yeah,
0: it's too uh, too hot over 250. I knew that. Some people yeah. say go all the way down to 200 and to me it, it takes too long at that point.
1: I mean, again, if you have time for it, then you know, go for it. If you have say 3 days, by all means, go ahead with that 200. Um The only problem whenever you go at a smaller temperature like that, guess what you have to do? You have to constantly watch it just a little bit more to maintain that it's at heat. So you might not be sleeping for about three days if you do it at 200. I'm a 230 guy. I really like 230. Um, You can use those wood pellets for that Traeger grill or whatever they have out now. Um, That maintains a good heat for yourself um, for indirect heat aspect. But again, I like 230. Um, It's going to go for a good... 15, 18 hours, uh, depending on the size. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a two thirty guy.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see.
1: Uh, and that is in Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Seeing that I am in. Yes. And yeah, if,
0: if that were Celsius, you'd have a. You'd have some. <laughs> it'd be it'd be nice and crispy after a minute or two.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Really. Speak- hey, just going back, you were saying one of those uh, gentlemen for your thing for the JLo at whatever.com. Does yes. that guy get a lot of like cross traffic for JLo? You think? Uh, I'm
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna guess not. I'm gonna guess I'm gonna guess not. But uh, in in large part because her 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 low is short for Lopez and his low is L O W E, almost like the store Lowe's. All right. All
1: right. okay well, it just popped in my head I was like oh, I get a lot of cross traffic not cross dressing cross traffic
0: and I've seen him his uh his his body does not compare to J-Lo's so he, he yeah
1: he doesn't wear a green dress
0: uh, he could but he wouldn't be able to pull it off like she can let's put it that way All Right. Uh, I'm watching you says what is the best method for cooking turkey for Thanksgiving what's the best method for taste and what's the most Thanksgiving in quotes turkey
1: Ooh. I mean I see most we'll start at the end, the most Thanksgiving turkey. Um where well you have to set the scene, you gotta have everybody around the dinner table, you gotta have the uh the grandfather or the uh <laughs> or the dad or whoever else is in charge of carving the turkey, you gotta have the little white pieces on the end of the uh the legs. You know, I think that's the most Thanksgiving turkey and then you have to have somebody to take a picture of it. But when you go for most Thanksgiving turkey, uh, usually for everything that I've recollected, it's just a turkey that probably doesn't have salt and pepper on it (laughs) or in it or any vegetables in it. It just looks really, really good and they uh, cooked it very, very well. Um, Most Thanksgiving turkey, just salt and pepper. Uh, I think it's traditional um, for a lot of people that... You know, say hey I don't really want to eat that or eat this because you do go about that whenever Thanksgiving and Christmas comes around it's like I don't like mayonnaise or I don't like mustard um, best Thanksgiving recipe for a turkey though I'm a butter guy but what's the,
0: what what's the best method though? What do you what do you I mean, if if you're t- wanting to do a turkey and you just want it to taste great. You really don't necessarily care about what it's all going to ultimately look like. You just want it to taste great. Is it is it frying? Is it roasting? Is it smoking? Is it do you spatchcock it? I mean, what do, what do you do if if the one thing you really want here is you just want it to taste great. I
1: want it to taste great. Uh, I'm a roaster. Um, I know frying is going to be great just because it has all the oil around it. Um, but if I want it to taste great, I mean, like top, maybe Michelin star, three Michelin star great, I'm going to roast it and down. Um, you get your veggies in it. Uh, you get spices under the, um, under the skin in between the meat where the breast is. Uh, you get crispy skin. On the, uh, on the turkey you eat the Christmas skin by the way um, yeah it's just phenomenal if you roast it I, uh, I don't I'm never a fan of injecting turkeys I know a lot of people that do oh man I bought this Cajun um, injector and you inject it like a syringe back in the day um, I don't ever want to touch meat until it's ready to be cut and I think that's one thing that was a flaw of mine whenever I was cooking turkeys beforehand is that I would inject into the meat, which would slice open the meat technically. And so it just exposes more of that to dry out. So I roast it. Um, I like doing an herb butter. Uh, you can do rosemary, especially with a uh, turkey. Make a um, herb butter with rosemary, uh, soft butter, and then salt. And then put it in between the, uh, the breast meat and also where the legs are at with, uh, the skin, and then you roast it, put a little uh, piece of aluminum foil on top of the breast star for the first, I think, half portion of roasting the turkey, so that it doesn't over-roast and dry up the meat, and yeah, it's just phenomenal, make a really good gravy from the drippings, Um, yeah, the giblet gravy, throw some eggs in if you like, I like hard-boiled eggs of mine, and yeah, I think that's the best way to go about it, just make sure that you don't under-salt it, I think that's a key with whenever I was home cooking, is that like a lot of times I would under-salt something because I was like, oh, man, that's way too much salt. If you think that it's too much salt, add more salt.
0: That's the key to a lot of cooking, isn't it?
1: It really is. Um, and if, why do you go to a professional restaurant to eat? Because they salt and pepper their food correctly. <laughs> if you really break it down, you're like, it's, they know how to salt and pepper food. And I think salt and peppered food takes you from a good cook to a great cook automatically if you can if you know how to salt and pepper food.
0: Are you one to one salt to pepper? Or are you two to one salt to pepper? What's your typical ratio?
1: Um definitely not a one to one. I would say more of a probably a two to one um for salt to pepper. Um sometimes it might even be a four to one depending on what I'm cooking. Um but definitely probably a two to one two to one to four to one. Okay. If you need more salt in things, salt just brings out flavor, um, of whatever you're cooking, vegetables per se, meat, um, but just don't under salt something and always taste as you go. So say you make butter and you're like, I'm not going to eat butter. Just taste it. If it doesn't taste like salt that you put salt into it, you probably need to add more. But don't think that just because you put a teaspoon of salt in your butter, it's like, oh, it's salted butter. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, Texas via Tennessee rebel has a request that I do as well. So I'll go ahead and give you a homework assignment for, uh, for the holiday season as we shift from Thanksgiving to Christmas, starting on Friday.
1: I like homework. Uh, I
0: like would love, and so would, so would my friend, uh, Texas via Tennessee rebel. We would love a, uh, killer standing rib roast recipe.
1: Not a problem. <laughs> I write it down right now. We
0: would, we would like that to happen. You can feel free to feel free to do that whenever you're ready. But we'd like that before the before the Christmas holiday. There's there's your homework. I, I don't. I'm not a big homework person, but there's there's your homework.
1: <laughs> I'll take the homework, and um, I will like, give me three weeks. Give me three weeks to get the recipe sure. out for you. Sure. Because I wanted to do it like, right. Goulash, which probably a lot of people don't know what it is, but it's more of an Austrian dish for this upcoming week. So uh, yeah, give me three weeks, oh. and I'll do that for. It.
0: Three weeks is plenty of time. You have until December the 25th, in fact.
1: Um, No, I've done the the week before because, you know, how people scramble. And I'm one of those scramblers at the end, and then nothing's in the uh, meat aisle. Everything's gone. I'll go ahead and give you enough time to make sure that you prepare it correctly.
0: Um, Back to another sous vide question. I know you get those a lot. So here comes one. Uh, How do you sous vide a brisket and get a crispy outer crust?
1: Interesting. That uh, is. Huh. Nice. Right, Suviate and a brisket. Interesting. Uh, well, you're going to it just probably, um, I've only done one, and I've actually done some prime rib, and also some ribs, which are very, very good. you got to it for, goodness gracious. Um, depending on the size, I mean, you're anywhere in between like 45, 50 hours, maybe even 55 cc hours. Um, that's a lot of time to replenish the water and so forth. So whenever you're soothing um, one of those, make sure that you break it down first into two equal portions, because if you try to do a whole big piece at one time, it's going to take a long time. Um, I like to go in with mustard. I know it's probably going to be a little bit Uh for with some salt, pepper. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. Okay. Now, with this, I have a question. Are you going to now be smoking it after? Or are you going to be sealing it after? Or are you going to be putting it into... Roast after, or is it just straight a sous vide
0: yeah I don't know I, that that feels number one I, I've never done the sous vide thing it, it's I, I know a lot of people do and I know it's cool I've just never done it and and number two it just feels like trying to do that with a big like brisket flat would just be
1: well I mean you gotta have a huge container to put enough water in first and foremost you might actually have to have two sous vide machines just to be able to circulate the water enough to maintain a temperature um, I mean, it's possible. Don't get me wrong. The only thing that I'm thinking about on the on the later end is that usually, say for a steak, which we talked about earlier, you sear the steak immediately. Maybe cook it two minutes on each side, and you're good to go because it's already been cooked to where you want it. For a brisket, in that sense, when you sous it um, and then you want to cook it after, I mean, you have the potential of drying out too much of the meat because if you want to sear it i'd say the best thing to do would probably put your uh oven on the boiler setting after that and then pour it on low don't do the high setting do it on low for probably 10 minutes and just keep flipping it keep flipping it keep flipping it so you probably go up to about maybe 40 minutes you'll get a really good crispy skin on it um for sure um and keep it in the roasting pan and then reduce the uh the uh the water that came off of it and then pour that back on and baste it once you finished it and then let it set for at least an hour at least an hour um but i think that would be uh, probably the best method to go about sous vide or brisket for me i'm a smoker not like an actual smoker um my mom smokes but um yeah it's i i a yeah smoke it it's uh, one of those things that adds more flavor to it Because whenever you see a brisket Unless you have a lot of flavor in that uh, that plastic bag With the brisket It's probably going to come out a little bit bland um, And it's not going to be like the flavor That you're looking for So <clears throat> I'm I mean, That's a great experiment That I'll probably now do I
0: was, Speaking of, do you, what do you use? Do you use a Traeger? Do you use a big green egg? Do you have a, a favorite type of, of One of those machines if you will?
1: Um, Traeger or the Big Green Egg? Is it is it bad to say that I can default this question and say that I have both? <laughs> no, it's good.
0: That's good. What's your um, what What's your go to favorite food on on an outdoor grill? Whether it's a Traeger or an egg, what's your what's your one thing that you just love to do?
1: I mean, you can't really go wrong with a with a uh, steak. I mean, it's just one of those things. Uh, it's, uh, it's just wonderful. I mean, you cook a steak over wood, and that's another thing. That's why I like the Traeger Grill, is because it's wood pellets, and I like having a steak over wood as opposed to charcoal. Um, it just tastes better for me. You get a more of a smoky uh, aspect to it, and uh, it's just really wonderful. Now, when you're going for the big grain egg, you can put charcoal in it, you can put wood in it, and uh, maintain heat. If you want to do, like, a pizza in a big green egg, it's wonderful. Um, the big green egg, whenever it came out, I mean, it was just one of those things that everybody wanted. Um, whenever I worked in a Michelin restaurant in Rome, we actually had a big green egg on our line. To where we, that's how we actually went about um, cooking all our grilled meats. So it's a wonderful thing, and it gives great flavor as well. You just have to make sure that whenever you use your big green egg, make sure that you have a really good uh, starter. When I say that, very good wood or very very good charcoal with good flavor and I mean, just let it go.
0: Um, do you ever do pizza on the Big Green Egg? I do. I do. Big Green Egg is- <laughs> Oh, I love it. I have, I've had one for years. How do, you, how do you get the dough thin and crisp?
1: Thin and crisp. Uh, I think thin is going to be more of whenever you uh, roll the dough out. Is how you're going to get it thin uh, for crispiness. That the your I was going to say Traeger. The uh, the big green egg has to be at the highest temperature possible. Uh, whenever do you go to Italy? Say I would recommend everyone to go to Italy. Go to Napoli. That's where the pizza is invented. Um, they work in like a I think it's like an 800 degree oven. It only takes maybe a minute and a half, two minutes to uh, cook the pizza. And I say you get it crispy, but whenever they roll out the pizza, I mean, it might be maybe one centimeter, two centimeters thick at max before they even put the pizza into the oven. And so that's what you're really working with is that to get it thin, that starts before you put the pizza right into the oven. And to get it crispy, that what's the temperature that goes on a big green egg? I can't think right now. What's the highest temperature it goes to? Uh, about 750,
0: 800.
1: I hey, guess what? Put it on 800. <laughs> uh, put it straight on 800. And also, whenever you're cooking, say if you're, say, not a novice of it, and you want to be better at it, start off with, like, a little piece of uh, pizza dough and just put it on your uh, the big green egg at, like, that 800-degree temperature mark. And don't even put any sauce on it. Don't put anything. but Just put it straight on there and then check after one minute. To see if it's crispy, and then that gives you a good starting place for whenever you put your pizza on, so that you don't actually burn the pizza. Gotcha. All
0: right. This comes from one of your uh, old roommates, uh, Stackhouse45. I don't know if that rings a bell for you. He says, Burton was my roommate in college, so myself and a few others on this board might be willing to come on and provide a a much less educational, albeit more entertaining podcast if you'd like. That's probably a thought. They're uh, just as hilarious as he is a great guy and a great chef. That said, my question is more about cooking philosophy. What is the number 43 all about, and how does he incorporate it into his cooking style?
1: Uh, do I tell off of myself Neil, Or I mean, because once this goes live, it's like one of those things where it's, it's out there for the rest of life, right? It's your, it's your world, man. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so I went to college at the University of Mississippi. Um, a group of guys of us, I have no <coughs> idea why. Actually, no, no, it was a movie, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, we were all watching it one night. We might have been drinking. I'm not going to say that. We were drinking water. We were drinking water. How about that? Sure. And um, anyway, the, the final scene is like the answer became 43. And anyway, fast forward like maybe... I don't know, a month, three weeks later, maybe we went to uh, Pearl Street Pasta. It was one of those things that we just kept saying 43 when we uh, maybe drank a drink there. And so um, from then on, we started calling ourselves the 43s all throughout college. And, yes, we came up with our own little group. And it was probably about 25 of us that are still in the 43s. And um, for birthdays, whenever we wish each other a birthday, and I'm 33 now, we still say happy 43. To each person in um, text messages and emails we still sign off by saying hey happy 43 day can't wait till you tell 43 because it's going to be a great day and it's probably one of the stupidest things that has stuck with me and I really enjoy it because of that now how does that go into my cooking philosophy um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well 43 um, this is another thing that we thought about as well 43 means love you if you break it down four letters three letters um so i guess if you uh, say that how i put it in my cooking philosophy is that i put love in my cooking philosophy but i think the biggest thing and this goes back to cooking in general you got to care about what you do um you can't just throw ingredients or anything into a pan and go oh yeah it's going to taste good think about it beforehand i mean whenever uh, like the Ole Miss football team i don't know if i should bring those up Um, But whenever they go out onto the field, I mean they have a plan before they go out there Do they execute it at times? Yeah, do they not? Yeah, I mean that's just that's part of the game But when it goes to cooking like you gotta have a plan before you go in and cook You can't just say well, I'm gonna throw this and this and this together. That works for very experienced chefs, but uh, for the home cook uh, Doesn't work out as much for a success rate and if I had to guess who that stack house is, I mean,
0: yeah. the name <laughs> <All right. laughs> we Will uh We will take a, a last couple of questions here in a minute. First, let me tell you, this podcast is also brought to you by LB's Meat Market. If you've got a big green egg, you've got a Traeger grill, and uh, you don't have a Burton Webb to uh, come cook for you, you uh, I would recommend that you go to LB's right there across from Kroger. In Oxford, 2008 University Avenue, 662-259-2999. The Freshest Cuts uh, in Oxford, anywhere around Oxford, are there at LB's. Call Greg Jones. Tell him what you want. He'll have it ready for you, whether it's a a standing rib roast, whether it's a... a, uh, beef tenderloin just tell him what you want he'll have it all uh all prepped up or you can do what i like to do and that's just to go in sort of open-minded and look and see what catches your fancy whether it's chicken or pork or beef or seafood from the gulf uh greg's got it fresh cuts Phenomenal sausages that you owe it to yourself to try, whether as an appetizer or as a meal. Again, 2008, University Avenue in Oxford, or 662-259-2999. That's LB's Meat Market. Tell Greg and the people there at LB's that you heard about LB's on the beer garden. He'll throw a few extra goodies in your sack. It'll uh, it'll be worth the three seconds that it takes for you to say those words. You'll get a lot more than three seconds worth thrown in your bag just for telling him. All right, last couple of things. When you spatchcock a chicken, do you season under the skin? And if so, what is your seasoning?
1: Um, I do spatchcock chicken. Um going back to it, did it, did my friend really ask that question?
0: I, I didn't make that up. I don't I don't think I'm I mean I'm good I think at times, but I'm not that good.
1: I was like, Neil, did you have you been spying on me since I was like very little?
0: Uh no, I can I can tell you with authority that I have not done that. Okay. All right.
1: Anyway, okay, so spatchcocking. <laughs> Alright, so spatchcocking a chicken, I do put seasoning under the skin and the, um, or in between the skin and the meat. Uh, whenever you spatchcock it, that's kind of a conundrum. Whenever you batch cock a chicken, excuse me, um, you want, you're you going to grill it on both sides. And so you want to have some insulation because seeing that whenever you grill it for most of the times, it's very, very close to the, uh, the direct heat of the flame. And so I like to put something under, uh, again, the skin just to insulate it. When it comes to chicken, um, you can put all these different spices. I'm, I'm a big fan of tandoori. I know it's not really you know, an American thing, um, but it's very, very good. You can do a tandoori spice with butter and mix that and put it up under the, uh, the skin. If you want to go a traditional route, that is just, again, I like to use the word phenomenal when it's that good. Um, do some lemon juice, do some butter, do some thyme, um, and then also some orange. With that, some little bit of orange juice, and then also slice you off some lemon and uh, oranges as well. And so whenever you put the uh, stuff, the butter, in between the skin and the meat, that's good and all. And save the slices of orange and lemon for after. So once you turn your chicken over and now you're just finishing it on the actual inside of the spatchcock, uh, that's when you'll put your lemon and so forth, and it'll kind of get a little bit of a... Uh, like a burned uh, look to it and then all those juices will now go into the top of the chicken and man it's phenomenal so just again like a lemon pepper some herbs if you want to do that but the lemon butter is, is really really good and again it's simple um, try not to make cooking hard
0: Swilling56 wants to know about French onion soup do you have a secret at uh, to make this at the house like a pro?
1: yeah you gotta be in France that was a joke That's a terrible joke. Okay. Um, Now, uh, use really good beef stock. Okay. Um, Some good Gruyere cheese. I like Gruyere cheese and Hibati mixed in to each other. Um, (sighs) It's really, really good. And get a quality uh, piece of bread. Um, for whenever you slice it and put it in there because the bread's going to soak up a lot of those uh, juices and whatnot in the French onion soup um, I like to use a, uh, a white onion uh, the, yellow, the yellow onions have a little bit more of a savory aspect to it, the white onion is more poignant um, and so yeah just white onions, beef stock uh, thyme, really really good piece of bread, um, try to find a good baguette uh, somewhere in your supermarket uh, make sure that you toast it first with the uh, Gruyere and then also the uh, Havarti and then put it into your soup because if you put it in to your soup without it being uh, like a crostini, um, it's going to soak up too much and just kind of become uh, like meal or porridge. All
0: right, we're going to touch on a few kind of quick. I've kept you longer than probably you intended to stay.
1: Uh, I was thinking that you probably had the fire questions. I don't know. All right, Prison Mike Reb,
0: here we go with a few. Just, just kind of some quick thoughts on these. Uh, br- brining a turkey is generally a good idea. Uh, if you're going to brine it, how do you uh, – any kind of a quick tip on the best way to, to brine a turkey?
1: Quick tip. Um, make sure that whenever you uh, make your salted water, um, you can add some vinegar to that as well, but again, it's just salted water just like we whenever you're blanching, but you're not cooking the turkey. so salt your water, um bring it to a boil, let it now cool back down to uh, room temperature, and then put your uh, turkey into that water bath um, and then take it out after I think turkey is about eighteen hours somewhere in there yeah but don't try say to it's
0: it. it's it's almost twenty four hours, right?
1: 18 to 24, just depends on the size again. Um, but then take it out, pat it dry, and then uh, go from there. If you want to put seasonings under the skin, you can do that. If you want to inject it, um, you can do that as well. If you just want to put salt and pepper on the top, you can do that as well.
0: For different sized turkeys, is there, a, is there a general rule of minutes per pound that you, you, roast, a, you roast a turkey?
1: Uh, there is. Um, I've always gone in between the 15 and 20 minute rule per pound. Um, usually whenever you say if you do stuff a turkey uh, it's going to be at the 20 minute mark if it's unstuffed go at the 15 minute mark um, and that's usually at around 325 degrees for yourself and so say again you have a 10 pound turkey that's stuffed 10 times 20 um, if you had it unstuffed 10 times 15
0: Was Heath Johnson from City Grocery the craziest chef you ever worked
1: under? What, what kind of questions are these? <laughs> 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 so I did work for uh Heath Johnson um at City Grocery. Um it was a little stopping point for myself. I wouldn't say that Heath was the, has been the craziest chef that I've ever worked for. Um I think all chefs are a little bit crazy. I mean, I ended up selling everything that I had in Mississippi and Nashville neil to move to uh Rome all on the whim. So uh I mean you can label me as crazy. Um but Heath uh He's just different, in a good way. I wouldn't say the craziest, because I don't want to bite my tongue here whenever I come back to the States, but no, he's 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 a really good chef. Um, I think he works out at uh, Taylor now for Grit, if I'm not mistaken. But no, his, his knowledge is phenomenal. Um, he's Southern all the way through. He's got great knowledge. I think the only crazy part is that he's uh, he can get crazy on you if you don't do something correctly. So... And one day I didn't do something correctly and so uh, me and I had a little talk outside on that uh, back porch. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Be- be- best way to cook a duck, whole or broken down and uh, is it roasted?
1: Um, I cook it whole. I cook it whole. Um try not to interfere with what it is. Um if you ever thought about that in cooking te- I mean cooking terminology, cook it whole. Um you can go Chinese on it and um do it with some hot boiling water and then hang it <laughs> for the pecking duck. Um, but I cook it whole. Um, you really don't have to go far away from it. You can do a Chinese five spice. If nobody's ever heard of that, please go get some Chinese five spice. Yeah, it's excellent. It um, put it with your duck. Roast it with your duck. That's literally all you need with some oil and then salt. It is phenomenal. Um, after that, uh, with whatever's in your... Um, a uh, dripping pan. Uh, pour some red wine into that. A little bit of brown sugar um, and a little bit of water as well. Let that reduce by half. Finish it with a few pats of butter. Stir it in with a whisk. And that Chinese five spice with so that red wine and that butter and that sugar. Literally, you'll be thanking me for years to come.
0: Uh, how do you dress your burger? And what blend do you use?
1: blend i uh, use first um i try to keep it simple i will actually put uh a uh, pork shoulder into my burger um it's phenomenal i do 30, a third 70 30 ratio so from beef to pork um, of course you gotta worry about cooking it a medium well. you don't ever want to go to midway rare um and then just salt and pepper that pork fat really is just phenomenal and uh, i learned that from a in New Orleans for a burger restaurant called Port of Call. If you haven't been to New Orleans to go to Port of Call yet, I don't even know if it's still open, uh, but it was like eight years ago and I still dream about it. Um, when it comes to dressing my burger, it um, depends on where I'm at. I can go the traditional route of lettuce, tomato, um, ketchup, mustard that little bit, but if I really want a really good burger, I'm going to go for a blue cheese burger. I know people are probably like, ugh, blue cheese? I'm telling you, a blue cheese melted burger is just phenomenal. And if you ever um, were around for 208, back in its heyday, because that was actually my first restaurant I worked at in Oxford, what we did is that with the filet meat that was left over, we actually grinded it, and so you had your beef tenderloin filet, that's what all our burgers were, 100%. And that burger still stands in my top three, and that was 12 years ago.
0: The uh, that is still open. It's a uh, port of call. It's at 838 Esplanade Avenue there in New Orleans. It's uh, it, I'm looking at the menu now. It, it looks it looks really from, it looks really good. You
1: know, they won't seat you. Uh, I mean, they might have changed their policy. They won't seat you until your entire party's there. First come, first serve. Um, and the reason that I was actually able to. Um, I actually talked to the owners is that we were waiting for another seat to open. This lady got up and she's like, oh, you can sit down, honey. And I was like, no, 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 I'll never let you sit down. She's like, no, no, I'm the owner. It's okay. And I was like, okay. So then we sparked up a conversation, started talking to her husband about everything. He told me about how he does it. And I was just like, it's phenomenal. They serve it with a baked potato. And it's, it's literally phenomenal.
0: Yeah, I was just looking at the picture. It looked awfully good. All right, last thing. Let me see if I can find it uh fairly says i'll be in paris soon and i wonder if burton could recommend a restaurant or three for a mississippi family with
1: teenagers cool um let's see (laughs) um let's see well you have to let's start off in paris of course you're thinking of french food Uh, But for France, in the world spectrum, they're known for their pastries and their bread. I mean, literally, for what I've tasted now around the world, pastries and bread, I mean, literally France has every other country beat, hands down. Um, So you got to go to pastries first. Um, There's a gentleman, Cedric uh, Goulet, he just opened up his um, first shop um, in Opera, so you'll need to remember that metro station, Opera. But go to his pastry shop, and you'll taste some things that are just phenomenal. It opened up actually this past uh, Thursday, and I went, I went on Friday because I didn't want to uh, handle the line. But the stuff he does is just it will make you think about how you, uh, you've eaten pastries before, and it will just change your mind fully. Um, next up, I would say you got to get some bread. Um, look for what they call is a mouillier. Um, Moulier means uh, the top in France. And so I think there's quite a few different baguettes and croissant places and pain au Chocolat. Um, but you need to look for, they'll have a Moulier, uh sign on the front of their um, their business and it'll be the Italian flag. But that means that they are the best in France. And so you need to stop by one of those. And then in the 6th, air and for everybody out there, Aaron Dismonts is essentially the districts, and so they call them the Aaron Desmont. Uh, go to the 6th Aaron Desmont. Um, that is known as Chocolate Street or Chocolate Heaven. That is where the best of the best chocolatiers in the world, that's where they reside. Uh, and I think maybe four blocks of uh, that, that Aaron Desmont literally is probably 20 of the best chocolatiers in the world. So, please hit that up. (laughs) It is wonderful. Might be a little expensive, I'll be honest, but it is wonderful. Um, going to traditional French cuisine. Um, I think it's Gasabo. Yeah, Gasabo. Um, he has a restaurant, I can't think of it. If you want a good meal, it's gonna be a little bit pricey. I think it's a two Michelin star. Um, go there. If you want something kind of random meal that's different though, I I love Chinatown here in Paris. I mean, they have some really good food. Um, There's one place called Trois, Piemont de Foix. Um, It's right next to Point Neuf. And again, you can figure that out all on a map for yourself. Um, But it is phenomenal. First come, first serve. They always have a queue. And in European terms, a queue is a line. I didn't know that when I came over here. Um, Yeah, those are probably my top picks right now. Um, there's some really good another Chinese thing is a ramen place, um, Acapose, which is in saint Desmont. But yeah, a lot of the food here in Paris, I, I try to go toward the, the Chinese or Italian, um, just because I lived in Italy for a year. Um but the French food's good, but the pastries and the bread is phenomenal. It really will kind of change your life once you eat a pastry here and you know? So I guess we gotta get you and your family over here.
0: Yeah, you gotta get me to Paris. i, I I've never been uh-huh. would, would love to see it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's again. I mean, I think it's hilarious for me to speak French, um, <laughs> and I'm from Mississippi. And uh, but now uh, Paris is one of those things that just don't make it. I think one one thing I learned just really quick. It's not a long story. Do things when you have the opportunity to do them, and maybe it's a little bit of a risk. But I didn't want to be in my 70s or 80s going to Paris for two weeks and going, yeah, I went to Paris for that one time. Granted, I'm here to work. Um, but with that being said, though, if you got opportunity, come, come to Europe, go to Korea, South Korea, go to Taiwan, go to Japan. Maybe not China right now. Um, but yeah.
0: Well, Burton, I can't thank you enough for the time. I know it's uh, it's getting after eight o'clock at night there, so I know you have stuff to do. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to your family. And we will, uh, if if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and schedule this. Uh, we'll we'll plan to do this again before the Christmas holiday.
1: I would love to and um you know, great questions if you still wanna some of my fans out there who are listening, yeah, I guess y'all can get some questions in as well. Um, maybe some awful <laughs> <other> ones. <laughs> Just, <laughs> it was quite hilarious. But no, thank you for your time. Um to your listeners and also to your readers and subscribers out there, uh thank you for again for giving me the opportunity to showcase um cooking and the things that I've learned now over twelve years and I'm gonna continue to learn uh well into the future and um The recipes are good. I want to highlight Italian, um, French, and then also American cuisines. And uh, just stay tuned because we will have better and better recipes each week.
0: How do they get to your, uh, your, your recipes that you have online, some of your YouTube videos?
1: Okay, so we just started that uh, the YouTube channel. You can go online, go to YouTube, and once in the search bar? Just uh, cooking with Burton. Um, right now, we're doing a lot of Southern traditional with a little bit of Italian influence. Um, I will be posting five videos over the next couple days uh, for the Thanksgiving and then the Christmas holidays. You just kind of start a few things, casseroles, cornbread, and so forth. And I actually had to do a turkey. Um, but yeah we're going to be coming out with more of those we're actually going to be starting a vlog as well uh, for the different eateries throughout Paris and in Europe and then when I was in London uh, two weeks ago so I mean it's, we got a lot of good things got, got a lot of good content coming down the, uh, the pipe as they say for food and um, yeah we just want y'all to all see it if you can't come here and um, let you know what I've been living like
0: <laughs> again Burton thanks so much happy Thanksgiving and we'll talk to you soon Happy Thanksgiving to you. Ciao, ciao. That's Burton Webb. We'll be back with another edition next week of The Beer Garden, presented by Oxford Crystal. Until then, take care.